Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Life's not fair. Ever heard that before? Ever said it? Well, there's one thing that I know. 2020 has not been fair. Now, we know, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, we know that God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that's real easy to quote when you're trying to comfort someone else going through a hard time. But honestly, when you're the one going through the hard time, how comforting is it? Lord, help us. We're in a series called Self-Control, and today we're going to end that. Uh, we come to the conclusion of that, and I'm excited about what God's given me to share. But understand that self-control is not something you do. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in you that you participate with. The Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And self-control almost seems out of place. And yet I want you to understand that self-control is literally the ground upon which all these others can blossom and grow. Self-control. Against such there's no law, it says. And this word self-control comes from a Greek word, ingratia. It comes from kratos, meaning power or dominion, and in, meaning within. So having power or dominion within. So ingratia means, or self-control means, power over your passions. Now let's be honest. It's, it's a struggle relying on the Holy Spirit in self-control when life isn't fair. When it's not working out the way you thought or even the way that seems right. When life is hard. But that's the time when we need it most, when it's most important. Let's be honest. It's much easier to walk in the flesh when life's hurting. Things like jealousy, contentions, hatred, outbursts of wrath, and drunkenness. Those are easy when life sucks. It takes something special to have self-control when life isn't fair. It takes responding to the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to give you a key to bearing the fruit of self-control when life has, is taking a left turn. And that key is hope. Hope. And here's a simple definition of hope. The joyful anticipation of good, and literally God's good. The joyful anticipation of good. Now, when we use hope in our English language or in our culture, we're, we're, we're talking about a wish or a hope so. But the biblical word hope is a confidence. It comes from elpis. I love to teach you Greek. Elpis. It means a confident expectation of good or to anticipate good, usually with pleasure. 
And each time, each week that we've been looking at self-controlled, I've used an Old Testament character to show you the self-control or the opposite of self-control. And so this morning we want to look at Joseph. In Genesis chapters 37 through 50, did you bring your lunch? Genesis 37 through 50, 13 chapters of Genesis is talking about a man by the name of Joseph. Now Joseph, and we're not going to cover that, if you'll allow me to, you know, when we think of Joseph, when I was raised in Sunday school, when I thought of Joseph, I thought of the coat of many colors. And I don't know why, but I thought it was stripes. You know, a kid imagining what it was like. But his father, he was the favored son, so he got a coat of many colors. But probably the one verse that probably is the theme of Joseph's life, Joseph's life is in Genesis 50, verse 20, when he says this, But as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. It sounds like Romans 8, 28, doesn't it? For you, and for what life is this happening... You meant it for evil, but God means it for good. You know, oftentimes when we talk about biblical characters, we kind of put them on a spiritual pedestal. We idolize them and, and think that they're special cases. And it's from the start, I want to remind you that you have every advantage over Joseph. You are not walking in an old covenant where God had to appear to you. You are now walking in a new covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated where the Holy Spirit is present with you. You have inside information that Joseph didn't have. You have inside empowerment and indwelling. You have the opportunity to literally walk in power that Joseph only had to think about because now you have the fullness of it. But the key here, you have it better than Joseph. And rather than cover 13 chapters of scriptures, if you'll allow me, I'll summarize the life journey of Joseph and show you a picture of what spirit-powered or empowered self-control looks like. Now, I'm going to use scripture because I want you to understand that what I'm saying is scriptural, but I, I want you to just... Hang with me and let me tell you the story. Is that okay? So you'll get out of here by 11.30? Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. 11th son, not firstborn. He's the 11th son of Jacob. He's the firstborn of Jacob's loves, Rachel. For years, Rachel had been barren. And Jacob was known as... You remember Jacob and Esau? Jacob was the schemer. He was the manipulator. He was the twister. That's what his name meant. And often when you live by manipulation, you get manipulated. Jacob worked for seven years to marry Rachel, only discovered on his wedding night that the father slipped Leah in on him. And so he works another seven years to get Rachel, the one he really loved in the first place. And so when you realize the the family that Joseph is born into, and you look at the family, there's one husband, two wives, two concubines, four mothers, 11 brothers, and one sister. That doesn't sound like marital bliss. And yet, God was with him. And when we look at the family life, 
you realize instead of it being this all good, happy family, there's jealousy, strife, anger, deceit, competition, and secrecy. Joseph was God's gift to a barren love born into a dysfunctional family. But God's hand was on Joseph from the beginning, and by the time Joseph was 17, and that's where we come in chapter 37, he had seen it all. He had seen lying, scheming, competition, hatred, jealousy. His older sister was raped, and his brothers retaliated by killing off a whole clan. Not, ever, not a very good example for a little brother. And if anybody had an excuse to be bitter, it was Joseph, but he wasn't. So we're going to go through the cycles. You're going to see it on the screen. Joseph was the 11th son, but he was also the favored son, but he was the hated brother. In Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not even speak peaceably to him. I've I've seen some houses like that, right? where the kids couldn't talk to each other peaceably. I lived in one for a while. Now, I love my brother, but sometimes he and I did not talk well to each other. I don't know what the problem was. I think it was his. (laughs) But Joseph was a dreamer, and I can't help but think, and we're going to talk about his dreams in just a moment, but I can't help but if he was the favored son of Jacob, Remember, Jacob's whole transition started when he laid his head on a rock and had a dream and he saw the angels ascending and descending heaven and God gave him a covenant promise that as he had been with Abraham and Isaac, so he would be with him and that he would be the fulfillment of the covenant of the future of what God was doing in the earth. And if you were the favorite son, don't you wonder if if Jacob didn't take Joseph back to Bethel? back to that place he called the house of God and and tell him about the covenant promises, tell him that he was in a family of a covenant promise. And Joseph, I can imagine Joseph as a little boy just beaming with light of his father's attention, but more than that of his father's history and of his father's promises. And all of a sudden you see that Joseph at the age of 17, he's bought in. He's bought in with his father. He's the one he tattles on his brothers. He gets them in trouble. They hate him the more. But then he has some dreams. He has two dreams. I want you to look at them in Genesis 37, 5 because they're key to everywhere else that we're going. Verse 5 of chapter 37, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. Bad idea. And they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I've dreamed. There, were, by, there we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheep arose and they also stood upright. And indeed, your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. Didn't take long the brothers to interpret that dream. Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then in verse 9, he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. He said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. And I want you, other translations said he pondered on this. Can you imagine all of a sudden Joseph saying, God, I mean Jacob saying, Maybe this is God. I got the covenant promise through a dream. Maybe he's pondering in his heart. Though he rebuked him, he's pondering it in his heart. 
So he's dreaming dreams. Now this is key to all that's going to come in Joseph's life's experience. Because what's going to keep Joseph when life goes off rail? What's God put in his heart? What God has put in his heart at 17 is going to keep him when he's 39. You understand? And that thing is hope. That confident expectation of God's good. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me. When God speaks to you, even as a young person, hold on to that dream, hold on to that word, hold on to that promise, because it could prove to be the very thing that keeps you in life that you thought would never turn the way you think it would turn. Hold on to the dream. Well, he goes, he's the favored son. Jacob calls him, tells him, would you go check on your brothers? He goes from the favored son. Joseph's mission of the father brought him right into the middle of the mayhem of his brothers. He turns from favored son to faceless slave. They strip him of his tunic. They threw him into a pit, which was probably a dry cistern. And they sat down to eat a meal. Now don't think that Joseph is okay with this. He's in this pit. He's been ridiculed. He's been cast down. And even his brothers in Genesis 42, 21 admit, we saw the anguish of his souls when he pleaded with us, but we would not hear him. His own brothers would not hear him pleading for help. And a caravan caravan comes by and they sell him. They sell their brother. Have you ever wanted to sell yours? They sell the brother for 20 pieces of she- 20 shekels of silver about $280 they sell the brother well he's the 11th one we might as well make money on him and so Joseph goes from favored son to faceless slave he sold again in Egypt to Potiphar in Genesis 39:2 I want you to see something though I want to I want to mark it because it's something that stands out it says, and now the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of the master of the Egyptian. Now I want you to understand, this wasn't stated when he was a favored son. Now we know it's true. I'm not saying he wasn't with him when he was a favored son. But this wasn't stated in Scripture. When it became obvious that the Lord was with him was no longer when he was the favored son, but when he was the faceless slave. When he finds himself in circumstances no favored son would expect. Though stripped of his coat, he had not been stripped of his hope. Later in life, in Genesis chapter 45, 5, Joseph is going to say, God sent me here. No, your brother sold you. And the Ishmaelites sold you. But in his heart, God sent me. God sent me here. I know you meant it for evil. But God means it for good. This hope, this anticipation, joyful goodness. He believed that God had put him where he was and in serving well where he was, he was serving God. Because his hope was not where he was. His hope was what God had said. And so we go quickly into another thing. He's promoted, he's propositioned, and he's imprisoned. 
Genesis 39.3 And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 5 The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Joseph was given authority over all the house and everything. In other words, God was with him and he was successful. He, but I want you to hear that, is that, that there was some thing in Joseph that just set him up. No, the thing in Joseph that set him apart was that he was looking beyond his circumstances. He was looking to his hope. And, and he was a... He was just like he was a handsome devil, just like me. And Potiphar's wife takes notice of him. And she desires him. She wants him. She wants him. Wants him to lie with her. Now I want you to I want you to see this. What would keep a son, the eleventh son of a Hebrew? What would keep him who had been sold into slavery, separated from his family, in, in, in all instances separated from any kind of future as a slave, what would keep him, having now been promoted in the house of Potiphar, from taking anything he wanted? What would keep him from the pride of his promotion, from giving in to the temptation? What would keep you when life's turned left? You've been left out. You've been betrayed. Why not just give in, give up, and get on with it? Look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Let me tell you something. Something that's going to keep you when everything else has turned you loose, betrayed you, turned its back on you, is the realization that God has plans for you. How could I do that and sin against God? Well, she doesn't quit. He keeps putting her off. Day after day, the temptation is there. And after enough refusal, finally she catches him and he's trying to get away and she pulls off his cloak. And now she has evidence. She accuses him anyway. And in Genesis 39, 20 says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison in a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But look at the next verse. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. It wasn't Joseph was smart. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And listen to this. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now all of this sounds good. It sounds like Joseph has a life. He's getting on with it. Everything's working out just the way he... Remember, he's a slave. He's been separated from his family. He's a slave. He's in prison. What's keeping him? 
his hope. That anticipation of God's good. Joseph, you see, had one freedom left. He had the freedom to choose his response. He had the freedom. Viktor Frankl wrote this. He says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Joseph stayed true and served because he chose to. He chose his hope more than his pain. He chose his hope more than his problems. He chose to hope when it looks like everything's falling apart. We go into another cycle. He's there serving. Even though the bottom's dropped out of his life, Joseph's attitude enables him to be sensitive to the needs of others. Two special prisoners were put under his care in prison. Two, the two had dreams the same night. They were, the next morning they were down and out, and Joseph asked him, Why do you look so sad today? And, and they tell him that they'd had dreams. Now, you've got to admit, dreams were an experience that Joseph usually got into trouble with. But he offers to help. He says, you know, well, tell me your dreams. God, God can interpret it. And so he interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker. And when the baker heard the butler's interpretation, he wanted his. One was good news and the other was not. But Joseph told him without compromise. But in the midst of his telling them, I want to show you how human Joseph is. In verse, chapter 40, verse 14, it says this. He says to the baker, But remember me when it's well with you. Uh, the butler. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I've done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. That makes me know that Joseph wasn't comfortable. He's a real human being. He's not some super spiritual saint whose feet never quite touches the ground. It's not wrong that Joseph would state his case, but here's the thing I want you to see, that Joseph was tempted to trust somebody else to deliver him. He was tempted to look to something else for his hope. Three days. Everything happens just as Joseph has said. The dreams are exactly interpreted correctly. The butler went back to to serve Pharaoh and the baker loses his head and becomes food for the birds. Don't you imagine that Joseph's excitement... And expectations were raised. The butler's gone back. He'll tell Pharaoh. Any day now, Pharaoh would come and free him from his prison. But days passed, turning to months and then to years. And verse 23 of chapter 40 says, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. There's probably no more devastating words that could have been spoken, forgotten, forgotten. Have you ever been forgotten? Life, you've had all of these things, and everybody said, this is what's going to happen, this one, and then all of a sudden everything changes. The things, the very things you expected to turn out, turn bad. And here's your word, forgotten. 
two years. Surely that was too much. Can you imagine the disillusionment? But nothing's recorded there. Joseph just continues on. And finally, the final one is he's promoted to divine purpose. Joseph has been in Egypt now and in bondage 11 years. Two more years have passed, 13 years now. And it's gonna, this time has passed before God's purpose for Joseph is revealed. But I want you to understand that not one minute was wasted in the journey. Ironically, the turning point for Joseph's life came as a result of another dream. And this time it was Pharaoh's. This is in chapter 41, verses 1 through 8. Well, that chapter. Pharaoh was so troubled in his spirit that he sent all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men, but none could interpret the dreams. And then, I love this, then the chief butler remembers Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, now you're going to remember me. Two years. If I was Joseph, I'd have poked him in the nose. That's the flesh. Not self-control. What amazes me, Pharaoh calls Joseph. What amazes me is Joseph's character in responding to Pharaoh. Now's his chance. Now's his chance to show who he is. Now's his chance to impress, impress the king. Now's his chance. And you know what Joseph says? I can't. It's not in me. You're going to have to look to God. You're going to have to trust God. If God gives it to me, I'll tell you. Basically what he said, what Joseph has basically got to the place where he realized this deliverance is not going to be because of the king. This deliverance is not going to be because of my past. This deliverance is going to be because of my hope. My hope's in God. My hope's in my future. My hope's in Him of a good expectation. And Joseph takes no credit And how easy it could have been to be bitter toward the butler. But he wasn't. His hope was in the Lord. Joseph gives all the credit to God. And I want you to look at verse 38 of chapter 41. It's going to be on the screen. The Pharaoh said to his servants, and I want you to notice what Pharaoh says about him. Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? He didn't say, look at this uh, dream interpreter. Look at this wise man. Look at this magician. He nails it because this is what Pharaoh saw. He saw a man in whom was the Spirit of God. When people look at you, what do they see? And then he goes on to say, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all the people, all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now you're talking about a promotion. But it was a promotion to purpose. It was not a promotion to place. It was a promotion to purpose. You see, I think sometimes we look at promotion for places. Well, I I sure would like that, God, and I sure would like that. And I want you to know, I think when God looks, He looks at promotions to purpose. They may involve a place because Joseph becomes the viceroy of Egypt and literally the savior of the world in that time. 
But his, what he saw was a promotion to purpose. Joseph was faithful to God, he's faithful to Pharaoh, and he's faithful to God's purpose. I'm just going to sum it up. Genesis 42, 22 years have passed since Joseph was sold. 13 years as a slave and in prison. Now he's 39 years old. He's been administrator, governor of Egypt for nine years. Famine has not only hit Egypt, but it hit all the lands around Egypt. Jacob hears that there's grain in Egypt. Now Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. He's dead to him. So Jacob's not looking for Joseph. Listen, you're talking about a lost son. He was lost for real. He was lost to his family, lost to any kind of history. He was lost. But yet God knew where he was. Jacob sends his sons to go to Egypt to get bread because Egypt has now become the breadbasket of the world, not because of, of just because of its fertility, but not by accident or by difference, but because it was planned by God. In verse 6 of chapter 42, Joseph is there. He's governor over the land. And it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother come and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Does that sound familiar? Verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse 9, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. The grain of the sheaves and the others that bowed down, and now it was before him. Suddenly he saw the divine purpose in everything that he had dreamed. His hope, those things that he had held on to. I believe that Joseph, now Joseph, he puts his brothers through their own test now, but, but I think that this is the moment that Joseph understood what God had been doing all along. Chapter 45, verse 4. Joseph says to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now I want you to note the word. He didn't say, God brought you here that you could say, I could save the family. He said, I save a posterity for you in the earth. Posterity. In other words, there's a plan and a purpose of God that's going to reach beyond us. That Joseph was here. God sent me here to preserve a posterity, a plan, a purpose for what God is wanting to do. And I want to tell you, that purpose includes you and me. God is arranging circumstances and doing with people in such a way that He is... And I, don't, I want to believe that He's doing it with you. That you have a divine purpose in life for being here in this time, for this place, for the now that God wants to do something in our day that would literally make us stand in awe if we could understand it. But we've got to hold on to the hope. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. There's an interesting statement made about Joseph. And I'm going to be through here. There's an interesting statement made about Joseph, but not in Genesis. It's in Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19. In Psalm 105, 17, it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons 
until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now the Young's literal translation translates verse 18 this way. They have afflicted with fetters his feet. Iron has entered his soul. Iron has entered his soul. You, you've got to understand something. And then it says, until the word of the Lord came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The Hebrew word here for tested is sarap, which means to refine or purified or forged. All the time Joseph was holding on to hope in the worst of circumstances, in the humiliations and the trials, God was forging iron in his soul. Let me tell you what iron is. Iron is something that doesn't bend, but it can be heated in the furnace to become pliable and molded into the very things that it was intended to be. All the time of Joseph's journey in life, all of the fail, what would, we would perceive as failures and trials and troubles, all were, were the furnace of God's process by which he was fashioning Joseph into the iron that he intended to use for his own purposes. When Joseph held on to the hope, God was forging him as his iron tool in the world. When everything is going wrong, if you'll just hold on, the fire of your trial becomes the very furnace and forging of the very thing you want to be. Tom Landry used to say this. He said, I make, things, I make guys do what they don't want to do so they can become what they have always wanted to be. Joseph had a dream. And now he sees it. And let me tell you this. Joseph's hope didn't stop in Genesis 49. Joseph says, when God takes you to that promised land, take my bones with you. My hope goes beyond this life. My hope goes to the promises of God. So don't leave. 400 years later, when Moses leads them out of Egypt, guess what they're carrying? Joseph's bones. Joseph says, I've got a hope that life can't stop. 400 years. It makes, I just, it just kept, this last week, I saw something. November the 11th, 1620, the Mayflower touches ground on America. 2020 is 400 years. 400 years, America, hold on to your promise. Hold on to your promise. It's not about America. It's about the God who promises and keeps covenant. Hold on. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I'm sure that with 2020, you've been going through a lot. You may have found yourself in the oven of God's processes. 
Please understand that God is using those things to produce iron in your soul and gold in your character. Don't panic. Don't quit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. Today, you may be the best of yourself. You may have been promoted and blessed. And the surest way to fall from that is to try to stand in your pride. Remember, it's the Lord who gives you position and prosperity. Instead of pride, lift up praise. No matter where you find yourself today, know this, that God is more interested in developing you, in conforming you and forging you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, than for your comfort. He's more, it's more important to Him that you have iron in your soul than you have comfort in your mind. And Paul prayed this for us. In Ephesians 1, verse 18 and 19, the New American Standard, Paul prayed this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would turn on the light so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. That word no, remember Pastor Chris talked in the Behold series, the I, the I do. The I do, it means to encounter, to behold, to see, perceive, to experience. Paul is praying that you will experience, that you will encounter, that you will come to behold and own what is the hope of, your call, of his calling for you. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? Preacher, why are you saying all this? Because I want, to, I want you to understand the, the Holy Spirit is wanting to, to be in such partnership with you, in union with you, that no matter what circumstances you're going through, He's going to remind you of your promise. He's going to remind you of, of the hope. He's going to remind you of the hope of the very thing God's called you. Don't let go of your dreams. It'll keep you from temptation. It'll keep you in the midst of trial. It'll keep you when you're promoted. It'll give you power over your passions. Trust in the Lord. This morning, Do you know the hope of your calling? The hope of His calling for you? The first is that you would know His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. That you would know that deliverance. That you would know that presence. That you would know you've been recreated, born anew, part of a new creation. And then there is a way in which you can live by the power of His presence. You can trust Him. It does not mean everything's going to go the way you think. What it means is everything's going to go the way God's planned. And in the process, He's going to forge iron in your soul that having done all, you can stand. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I come to you and I trust you that this morning you've spoken to our hearts You've encouraged and strengthened us as you've promised to to do. And that, Father, that you have shown us an example that if we stay true to our hope in you, you'll stay true to your promises. 
And that, Father, every word that you have spoken will come to pass because you are the faithful God, the covenant-keeping God. Holy Spirit, our word to you is yes. We have one freedom, and that's freedom to choose. And we choose to say yes to you. We choose to trust you. We invite you to be everything you're supposed to be to us that we might be everything we're supposed to be to the Father. Do it now. We trust you. In Jesus' name, we build our life on you, Lord. We build our life on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 